Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Ahead on fast April showers usually bring Wall Street flowery returns. 15 of the last 16 years, the S&P has finished this month higher. The major average is starting the first week of this April on the plus side, so can the good vibes last? Plus, a venti-sized beatdown for Starbucks. Howard Schultz back in charge for the third time and his first big move, an about-face on the buyback. And getting the Bronx cheer from shareholders. <laughs> and later, rolling the dice on gaming stocks. The first quarter was a rough one for most of the big casino names. Can the reopening rebound boost their bottom lines? But we start off with a blockbuster day. For Twitter, shares soaring 27% for its best day since the company's IPO. The move as Tesla chief Elon Musk disclosed a 9% stake in the social media stock. Musk's stake is apparently a passive one, but some analysts are betting that he might eventually assume a more active role in Twitter. After all, just over a week ago, Musk tweeted out a poll asking followers if they believe Twitter rigorously adheres to the principles of free speech. More than 70% of respondents said no. The next day, Musk tweeted, given that Twitter serves as a de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done, he asked. So is this his first step at, quote unquote, doing something? Tim, what do you think? Well, uh, first of all, you know, Elon basically moves Twitter around like like it's his business. And I think people are going to listen. And you know, I agree with the free speech dynamics. And, and look, Twitter's not doing anything. So let's be clear. 4Q revenues up 21 percent, op margins at 11 percent. For a company that told you at your inv- their investor day in February of 21 that they were going to double revenues by 23 to seven and a half billion and get their users up to 310 million. Like, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm angry about that because they're not even close and they were out there and the stock moved to 75 bucks. Now the stock's up 60 percent in 20 days after this move. And, and I still don't really know how they're going to get there. So that's the story to me on Twitter. I love it. I use it. Um, I think it is a very important medium, both in <laughs> communicating and, and in the professional world but uh, very frustrated by their ability to monetize and how they guided that they would. Dan, you've been in and out of the stock, and I'm wondering if you think Elon Musk can fix it, so to Um, speak. Possibly, Mel. He's kind of like the natural Roy Hobbs. Anything he wants to do, he just does, right? And some of the guys will get that uh, reference here a little bit. But I would just say this. I mean, this goes back to maybe that whole little brouhaha between Mark Andreessen and Jack Dorsey from December about who owns Web3, right? Remember Dorsey was saying that it was the VCs and you know Elon weighed in a little bit on that here. We know that Elon also has some issues with you know uh, Jeff Bezos and, and the, 
and the Washington Post, which he owns, and, and he's taken issue with democracy dies in darkness, which is obviously the tagline of the Washington Post a little bit. But I think that Tim made a really good point, is that if Elon's the biggest thing going on on Twitter, well, that's not saying a whole heck of a lot. There's only 330 million monthly active users. Is it really the de facto town square? I just think he's got a bug up as you know what about the way he thinks Twitter operates and who they've chosen to censor at times that broken their rules, okay, about trust and safety. So to me, I don't know, I think this is a bit of a sideshow and it's also a bit scary when the richest man in the world can dedicate a few billion dollars of his personal capital and really dictate this sort of potential change. I got no problem with it. I think it'll probably be good. It already has been good for Twitter shareholders. It probably gets better from here. So a couple of things. I mean, it's fascinating, right? The one thing, him just taking pocket money and buying this huge stake. But a couple, he is uh, uh, in investment purposes only. So he is yes. passive, as he said, for him to try to do anything to change the business model. At this point, he can't. Not that he can't change and become active. He absolutely can. It's sort of ironic. Do you remember when we were all upset about Jack Dorsey having two CEO jobs, one at Twitter, one at Square, and maybe living in Africa, and the idea of, oh, maybe Elon takes it over, and he has SpaceX and the Boring Company, and Tesla, and Twitter. I mean, I don't know. That would be kind of a lot. But I think that, I mean, if he wanted to, he could just make a bid to buy the whole thing. He could. Right. He could. So and then he would have to change to a 13D, which is no big deal. Is that what he's trying to do? Who knows what he's trying to do? It's sort of it's just amazing that he's just playing with this property. Yeah. One other thing that really jumped out at me, though, is the Trump SPAC DWAC. This is very bad for them. If you're going to be the arbiter of free speech uh, in a town square kind of forum and, you know, here's one that's already built, it's already got a lot more holders. For DWAC, who has yet to file a proxy, which is amazing, six months later, also in the interim, the SEC has said, hey, we're going to be a lot stricter on what your projections are. So you're going to have to be truthy, truth social. So it's not great for them. But I find the whole thing just absolutely fascinating and that it's just fun for Elon. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The yeah. fact that it, it's almost like mm-hmm. Dogecoin. It Nobody is more fun right? than Elon. I mean, yeah. I mean, everything's fun for Elon. Well, he's a billionaire. He can have all the Life fun he wants at <laughs> very little cost. Um, and so Karen had mentioned DWAC guy, and, and that's one of the things that is sort of being speculated about what will Elon do. One of the things is move to open source, allow the users to actually choose your algorithm, to, to choose what you can see or not see. And that's an interesting concept. Um, obviously, this is all a parlor game at this point, Guy, but is there something that he can do that can help the stock? Well, I don't think he can do anything at this point. I think we all acknowledge that. I mean, but with that said, I mean, this passive stake is passive in name only. You know he's going to be somewhat vocal now going forward in terms of what he thinks the problems for Twitter is. In terms of trading the stock, which is typically what we're tasked to do, it's traded 260-ish million shares to about 14 times normal volume. Uh, they report earnings in a couple of weeks. I think this continues to rally despite today's move into earnings. $55, another 10% from here is a logical place. That's sort of the 50% retracement of the all-time high. I think it was over a year ago and the recent low of 31 bucks, believe it or not. So I still think it has room. We'll see what he decides to do. Um, but I don't think, I think everybody's saying the same thing. This might be the first foray. I'm not certain it's going to be the last into Twitter. 
and the SEC might have its hands full. I mean, if it's mm -hmm. a passive filing, if he starts tweeting about what he thinks the company should do, having a 9.2 percent <laughs> stake in the company, that seems like you're just tempting the regulators to come in and yeah. slap him on the hands. Yeah, they've tried. He, he's done that he's a done bunch of times. He's been slapped. He really doesn't care. But one thing I just want to point out about a 13G filing, and somebody please tweet me if I'm wrong, if he were to sell stock, he would not need to disclose that until possibly next February. What? I think. Somebody who's an SEC lawyer on Twitter, please let me know. That's my guess, that you don't need to update a G, uh -huh. except maybe annually. I'm not sure. But I don't. It's not a 13D filing where he would need to file the next day or two. So that's sort of interesting that you wouldn't necessarily know if he was out. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and, and this is someone that at, at times has been in the market and certainly been selling stock at times, buying stock and somebody that certainly has been moving around. And, and Dogecoin, um, you know, I think he's at times had to get out there and even uh, clarify, disclose, you know, where he sits on it because he moves markets. And, and so the question ultimately really does come down to to what extent can he change the trajectory of the fundamentals in a stock that that trades it you know, two times free cash flow. I mean, it's a tech company. Um, they're not free cash flow generative. They're trying to, we're still hearing about this monetization dynamic, and, and I, I do think that there are people that won't go to Twitter for specific reasons. Some of them may be that the conversation uh, feels not truly free, and I think if Elon came on board, that would change the mind of a lot of people. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I don't really see him coming on board. And, you know, at the end of the day, we've had this conversation a lot about this platform, their inability to grow users, their inability to monetize them at the rate of, let's say, Facebook, which is nearly 10 times the size in, in monthly active users. It just doesn't make it that important of a thing. And I've said that, you know, I've thought for a long time, first of all, lights out for this new CEO. Um, uh, I don't think, uh, I suspect Elon is not a huge fan. There's been lots of memes about him in like a Stalin uniform and stuff like that about the way that they've censored him. So if he does go more active and takes a bigger stake, the management is going to change, and, and maybe that would be um, a good thing. But the stock, I think to Tim's point about the fundamentals, was also very ripe for an activist. I mean, there has been activists who have been um, involved in the past when the company um, announced you know, a bigger buyback and stuff like that. It just doesn't make a lot of sense when the product is not growing. So to me, listen, I, I, you know, I'd welcome Elon being more vocal if I was a shareholder. This move is a lot in a very short period of time. To Tim's point, if they don't back it up with fundamentals in the near term, it likely pulls back a little bit. All right, we'll have a, a lot more on the move in Twitter. In options action later on in the show, what one trader is betting the stock will do now. Speaking of Elon Musk, Tesla shares charging nearly 6% higher today after reporting record deliveries for its first quarter. This, even as the automaker Shanghai factory remains closed due to COVID, Philip Bo is here to take us inside the numbers. Maybe there's even a sigh of relief, Phil, from shareholders that he's now actually starting up his own social media company, which is something that he alluded to a while back. Another distraction is not what he right. needs right now. <laughs> Melissa, you and I both know, you talk with enough Tesla investors, they don't care that he's involved with SpaceX or the Boring Company or Neuralink. That's part of the Elon magic, if you will. The man is out there creating things, and the Tesla investors, they don't care, especially when the company continues to deliver. And it did deliver, even though it didn't meet expectations in terms of Q1 deliveries. Yes, 310,000 vehicles is not the 317 that was consensus. But when you look at the, the, these numbers, they weren't off by much. 95% of them were Model 3 and Model Y. And remember, China... It was impacted. Production there and deliveries there were impacted because of COVID. 
So when you look at the full year deliveries, and this is really what people are going to be focused on, can Tesla hit the consensus, which is 1.45 million vehicles being delivered this year, which would be more than a 50% increase or roughly a 50% increase from the 936,000 vehicles it delivered last year. They do have momentum on their side. Look at what Tesla has going. You've got the Texas Gigafactory delivery starting later this week, Germany started a couple of weeks ago. They're going to ramp throughout this year. You've got deliveries outpacing production, and China is accelerating at the same time. And you add in the fact that the run rate by the end of the year is expected to be 2 million vehicles. Think about that. A production run rate of 2 million vehicles. That's what analysts are expecting from Tesla by the end of the year. So as you take a look at shares of Tesla, yes, we're back to where they were in early January. We're not quite back to where they were when it was a high of five months ago, but they do have momentum right now. Remember, we get the Q1 results April 20th. And we always talk about this. Elon Musk has said, I may not be on certain earnings calls only if I have something to discuss. We've got a lot of questions and we want to hear from him. So hopefully we'll hear from him on that earnings report on the 20th. I don't think it's a coincidence, Phil, that the earnings is uh, release is 420. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like you're Elon not alone Musk will be on that. that on that call on 420. Um, Phil, thanks. Always good to see you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Um, a miss of 7,000 vehicles in a quarter that was, you know, riddled by supply chain issues and a closure in China, Karen. I think GM and Ford would kill for that number. Uh, they'd kill for a miss of 7,000. They would not be happy with 309,000, though, right? Right, right. the absolute so number. So GM's number is, I don't know, 510,000 off a, you know, a terrible 20-some-odd, but that was, I guess, what the street had expected. And if you look through where they, where they did build cars, they took, you know, whatever supplies away from lower margin. Obviously, Buick was down a lot. And then towards higher margin, SUVs, trucks, those were, oh, those are all high margin products. But they got to get it. To, they got to get it together. I mean, the stock is just sort of languishing at a single mid single digit multiple. So um, I'm frustrated with this one. Very frustrated. I would have thought three, six months ago that we would not be looking at supply chain issues through the end, potentially of 22 or maybe even longer. Right. And, and massive you know, input dynamics and pricing. And, and so, I, I mean, I, you know, that, that is the frustration of Ford and GM. And they're not really getting any credit for their internal combustion engines, uh, that, that core business, which has never been run better. And, you know, over to Tesla, uh, they got upgrades by missing. And so this was the kind of clarity that a lot of analysts on the street wanted to see. Uh, and, you know, is it to me, it comes down to a couple things with Tesla, someone that's been bearish and someone that doesn't believe this valuation at this point is attractive. Uh, you know, for all I know, I will probably continue to be wrong on the price of the stock. Uh, but I will say that, uh, you know, at, at the, the big dynamics here around execution risk, I think a lot of those things have been answered. Yeah. Um, but I think they're going to have to get into even higher volume to, to really kick in, in in lower price segments. So I don't think that the margins get better. Um, and even though I, there's no question, they have crushed it in terms of delivering all of their production to this point. So it's a valuation issue. It's a company still, I think, has execution risk, despite the fact that these numbers were extraordinary in this environment. Obviously, the supply chain has a huge question mark still. Um, Tesla has increased price a couple of times at least, Guy, for various markets. And, and there was an article in the FT that went through um, the list of metals used in, in EV batteries. And it's gone up about six times, if I'm not mistaken, over the past year for things like nickel, lithium and cobalt. And so those margins could face even more pressure uh, later in the year. 
And but they're trying to get ahead of it. They just signed a nickel deal with one of the. I mean, so they're clearly in front of this without question. But you know, think about this, and we've talked about it. It's now over a trillion dollar company, deservedly so, probably up over now fifty percent, five zero since that March low. It's a spectacular move in a short period of time, and this is not some two hundred million dollar uh, phase three biotech stock. I mean, this is a very mature company. I mean, the market's a little uh, insane right now. I still think. It gets back to that 900 level, the prior all-time high way back in January of 2021. And at the levels we're at right now, Phil just mentioned it, this is where we stopped basically in January of this year. All right. Coming up, stocks higher for a second straight day to kick off April, but the good times may be ending. That is the warning from Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson. He's breaking down this call next. Plus, shares of Starbucks going cold as Howard Schultz steps back in the saddle. The exec retaking the reins and already grinding things up. Oh, I the details ahead do not go anywhere. We're back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying again today with tech as a big winner. The Nasdaq surging almost 2%, but the market's biggest bear is telling clients to double down on getting defensive. Mike Wilson is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist and CIO. Mike, always great to see you. Thanks for having me. You say the recent bounce we've seen, that was technical. You could have called it. You called it. Um, But that's over. (laughs) Why is that over? Well, you know, I mean, we, we think it's over. We don't know for sure, obviously. But, I mean... It does have all the hallmarks of what I would call a bear market rally. Uh, we expected a bear market rally at the time, you know, that things got oversold. It probably went a little further, quite frankly, than we would have thought, particularly in the S&P 500. But the Nasdaq's right into resistance again here, kind of throwing back into the 200-day moving average. So from a purely technical standpoint, that's what it looks like to me. So that's how we're calling it. But more importantly, uh, Melissa, I would say... The reason we think, you know, it's, it's a good time to remain defensive is because, look, we're late cycle. We've written a lot about this. Um, we think we're later cycle than perhaps some people think, although everybody's talking about an inverted yield curve. We don't think there's a recession this year, but maybe next year there could be one. And so the markets are going to trade defensively. So you can still make money in this market. But it, what it really means is you got to pay up for earning stability, you know, achievability, you know, operational efficiency, kind of these boring metrics that tend to work at this stage of the economic expansion. 
Hey, Mike, is that mega cap tech, in your opinion, um, you know, when you think about the monopolies, the recurring revenue that all of them are increasingly have the, the you know, just the moats and the balance sheets. And so that's the one thing. It's funny. I struggle with it. You hear me. You and I have talked about it on this show before. Sometimes I feel like they're defensive because we know those top four names make up a little more than 20 percent of the S&P and nearly 40 percent of the Nasdaq 100. And if they don't give it up, then this, the markets are not going anywhere that's exactly right i mean those some of those stocks for sure are defensively oriented and they're very high quality terrific balance sheets cash flow generators but even within that group dan you know i mean we've seen some separation of the you know truly defensively oriented ones and the ones that maybe were pretenders and you know i think it remains to be seen i mean you've been around the tech block a long time you know you and i've talked for 30 years almost seems like but you know, my, my guess is, is that many of these stocks are going to prove to be more cyclical than what people anticipate this year. Because of the nature of the COVID, you know, recession, the work from home, the pull forward in demand that we saw in a lot of these tech wares may prove to be a bit more cyclical this year. So that's the risk. That's why we're not as bullish on tech as some others. We're neutral on the group. Um, and, but we, and we think that the defensive qualities that we seek can be better found in areas like healthcare maybe even utilities and staples and REITs. Is there one thing, one factor, Mike, that you could see as, as being reason to revisit your thinking on, on how much further we go down? I mean, would it be a resolution of Ukraine-Russia, for instance? Or, I mean, what would that be? Well, I think it could be a lot of different things. I think it's the right question. I mean, one of it would be the Fed deciding they don't have to go as fast or as, as hard, but that's probably off the table given you know the inflation that's out there. But that would be a, a real elixir that would allow the markets to probably go a little bit further. Um, the other thing would be that you know, we end up being wrong about the earnings revisions, right? So, so far, earnings have been very resilient at the S&P level. We've seen some, some deterioration below the S&P level at the stock level. And if, if we're, if we're going to be wrong, it's going to be on earnings. It's not going to be because financial conditions loosen up again. It's going to be because earnings disappoint or don't disappoint as we're expecting as we go through the year. Mike, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. Guy Dami, I know you're not a betting man, but if you had to place a bet here on whether or not corporations surprise with the upside on earnings or, or they don't deliver, which way would you go? <laughs> I'd go the not deliver um, path, Melissa, if I had to place that bet. And for a myriad of different reasons, not least of which, I mean, costs. I mean, they, it's going to be very hard for them to pass a cost on, and that's going to be that's going to hurt earnings without question. And I think we're just starting to see that now, but I think we're going to see it in earnest over the next couple of quarters. So I think the earnings revision is going to be lower. And 4,400, it's not like it's a, I mean, it's literally a stone's throw away, and we've been there in recent history. It's just how we get there is going to be interesting. So, look, uh, clearly I think there's another flush to the downside. That's been wrong now for the last month or so. But there's still a lot of headwinds out there I think the market's taking into consideration. I think it's interesting that Mike brought up is, uh, you know, one of the factors that might cause him to revisit his forecast being the Fed not going as hard or fast as the market is now pricing. And I mean, it's sort of a double edged sword there. Yeah, it's great short term for the markets, but it also means that the Fed may not be going hard on inflation, which could run rampant. And as Larry Lindsay said today on the exchange, that that will bring us into a recession next quarter. I mean, as soon as then, Tim. I, I think the Fed is is not listening to, and 
by the way, this is a positive. I, I think the Fed is not going to listen to the market uh, anytime soon. I, I think the Fed, uh, and I think this Jerome Powell, who I, I believe is much uh, more of a hawk in, in his roots than people understand, um, is is really understanding how far off sides they are here. I think the pricing pressures that we're going to see both from commodities and the labor markets are nine months out. As we've heard, we've talked about the European data around uh, where Ukraine isn't even priced into their energy prices. So quickly, you know, the fire in the ice that Mike talks about, he says, you know, look, I, I, I think if anything, uh, we've had a case where even some of those ice stocks in healthcare care um, have had a very big run. I think you do have to stay in many of them. I still stay in, in United Healthcare, in Tenant Healthcare, uh, in, in AbbVie. Uh, but I do think if you look at the market here, the rally we've had is not going to lead to another one of these big Aprils, which people know is the biggest up month of the year. Just uh, the question you asked Guy about, do you think we're going to see conservative mm-hmm. down? I think that last week we saw RH and Lulu, very two different, very yeah. big stories. But I think that I'm with Guy. I think we're going to start to see more pessimistic and that's self-fulfilling. Once you see a couple of competitors or a couple industries, why do you feel like you need to go out there and put out a huge number when you can be a little more conservative and not really get punished for it so much? We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Third time's a charm? Maybe not. Howard Schultz sipping on another stint at Starbucks. So will this give shares a caffeine boost? The details next. Plus, jackpot. Casino stocks winning big. So should these lucky names be in your portfolio? The traders are rolling the dice on this trade. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a venti-sized buzzkill for you. Howard Schultz taking back the reins at Starbucks again and sinking the stock as he suspends the company's share buyback program. So is a third time not a charm for investors? You're kind of angry about this. Well, I mean, and by the way, that, that venti drip now costs you about mm-hmm. four bucks. So it's not terribly cheap. And they're cranking people with higher prices. And I, like, I, I don't own... Starbucks to be a growth company per se. I, I'm happy to see growth in China and growth initiatives and some of the segment growth. Um, but the, 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 the reason, look, also the other, I guess, 
we, we have a step down of the CEO uh, because he said he was resigning. But really, this company has been terribly run. And, and so I'm frustrated because as a shareholder, I think Arbucks earned its way into a place where it was a predictable company in terms of both div pay, buybacks, and, and some uh, sense of where U.S. comps were going to be plus or minus and where China could be upside. But um, to me, I think if you walk into the stores right now, I think many of them seem like they are in disarray. Uh, this is a company that would have three stores within a square block. This is a company that I think has not really managed their uh, and optimized their labor force at a time when labor prices have gone through the roof. So I don't need to hear that they're going into growth initiatives. And I think that's frustrating. I want to hear about a CEO saying, look, our prices have gone higher. We've got to deliver a better product to the consumer. Um, I, I, you know, I don't. And it gets me a little concerned that they may be looking to grow in a place that I don't think Starbucks should be trying to grow. But even those things that you mentioned in terms of getting a handle on them, maybe maybe this move is symbolic, Karen. I mean, it's not really going to make too much of a difference suspending a buyback. Suspending the buyback. Yeah, I I thought about that as well. Do they have enough? Do they earn enough that they could do both? But so it's more about sending a message. We need to spend more on our stores. Right. And so that makes me think, Okay, they've been underspending on their stores. Is that really what happened with the prior CEO? I mean, it was always kind of vague. We never we never. So that's interesting to me. Not a positive either that they've been underspending. It takes a long time, I think, to move the needle on a company like Starbucks. I do think he's a great steward of Starbucks. Of course, nobody knows it better. It's in his DNA. But, I mean, Tim's right to be disappointed and angry. I get it. <laughs> but this is what, like his first day on the job? I mean, what is, what is a forward P.E. of 25? What is that guy to you? What should that be? Is that a gross stock? Is that a value stock? I think it's actually, I think, I think given, you know, to themselves, you know, looking at Starbucks historically, I think it's actually very attractive. The problem is, as, uh, the, as Karen and Tim just mentioned, you know, they're going to start spending money. That's the, you don't just flip a switch and these problems are solved. So I think there are a couple quarters of pain ahead. And, you know, can we just play that? What do they call those things? A sot or those that thing we opened the show with? Because that was just brilliant, Mel. Did you hear that whole thing? It was great. I thought it was kind of disturbing. Just, well, and, it, and, um... Isn't that the sound that they're going to be making for the team? No, the I didn't. Sure? I think so. Oh. Well, no, they're not, Tim, but my point was going to be, you know, sometimes you come back one too many times. As Melissa remembers, you know, Billy Martin came back one too many times, and I think that's what's going on here. Great job by our crack staff, led by Sandy Kennold in EC. Um, Is that the right take, Dan, that he's come back one too many times? And really what Starbucks should have done is installed somebody who is younger and with fresher ideas, maybe more in touch to today's consumer. Nah, I mean, listen, I, I think that Sh- I think Schultz and his board recognize that this is a very unique buzzsaw that this company is involved in. If you think about what we've been talking about, why the company deserved the multiple it had, were all these international growth opportunities, their, biz- their ability to expand. So think about this. A lot of those have actually been tamped down recently. We see the dollar where it is. We see the cost of all the inputs to make their actual product, right? And then you think of that wage inflation issue. This is a real problem for them. We talked about it earlier on our call. I mean, what percentage of their cash flow is going to this? Yes, I agree with Karen. It's a bit symbolic. But this might be this company on the precipice of a very important point about how they move forward here. So maybe it's all hands on deck here. And and I, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past this guy to make the really tough decisions. And if anyone's going to do it, it's probably got to be him. Sounds like it's in trouble the way well, Dan well, is putting it. Is it? I. I well, Dan, is that what you're saying? Because I don't, I don't hear that. 
Well, what I'm saying very specifically (laughs) is like, think about it, Tim. I mean, right now here, it's like every problem that could be a problem for this company is is right in front of them. And who knows how long all this stuff is going to stick around. So I think touchy feely things about talking about your employees or this or that or whatever, they're going to go to like kiosks and all that sort of stuff. That's happening. So that's just like that's just lip service. You know what I mean? So I just think they have major cost issues here. They, well, they do, and they're not going to go away overnight, as we talked yeah. about earlier in the show. But Howard Schultz has talked about uh, his, his, his workers and his audience like this forever. Uh, I just think the greatest thing Starbucks has is their brand and their loyalty. People will go out of their way to me. By the way, I love the 86th Street Madison Starbucks. They're great. Um, but, you know, you get a case where you've got a store that, uh, to me, stands alone at a time when I think largely... The customer for Starbucks needs to be treated differently, and, and I think they have that loyalty. That's the power of what Starbucks could, could reinforce. But even that store, Tim, will you still continue to go there and buy coffee if that store starts to charge you $6 for what you normally pay $4 for? No, but, but they can charge me 4 bucks for a drip, which is a dollar more than they charged me probably a year ago, if I get good service and I get the sense that the store is well run. And, and I think people are willing to pay for that luxury. We talk about this all the time. Right. A cup of coffee is not going to break the bank. People are letting prices drift higher. Starbucks is nailing you with it. But I, I just think the, the, the brand feels out of control right now. And the stock feels out of control if, in fact, they're no longer delivering the kind of growth and the kind of predictability to earnings. To your point about the y- younger, new, yeah. hipper CEO, yeah. if they had that person, we'd see him. I know they desperately want that person. I don't know what happened in the interim between the one year and I'll leave and this. This is a Band-Aid, a great Band-Aid maybe, but a Band-Aid. Right. Till maybe they can find that person, hopefully. All right. Coming up, Ace of Spades Investments. Casino stocks winning big today. So is it time to roll the dice in this trade? The details ahead. Plus, we're dipping into chips. Taiwan Semi getting a boost, but our next guest says the whole chip space may be heading for a breakdown. More on that when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Carnival popping in the after-hour session. The company saying it just posted its busiest booking week ever, the move putting its shares into positive territory for the year. Other cruise lines also jumping after this report, um, Guy, could this be hopeful? I mean, for the other travel stocks and, I think and it's cruise hopeful. stocks. Absolutely. It's going to get us into the conversation we're about to have. But without question, you know, we've said for a while and I've said I think the back half of this year is going to be extraordinary for a lot of those names. Casinos, cruise lines, airlines, uh, names like Expedia and I'll, Airbnb, and I'll stand by that. So this is a really good sign. I mean, look, Carnival's been basically lower lows, lower highs since June of last year. A close above $21-ish maybe breaks that trend. All right. From the high seas to high stakes, Casino Sucks getting a pop today after a rocky start to the year. Take a look at Caesars, leading the pack up more than 5% today. So are the worst of the reopening headwinds finally behind these names? And should you still look at the more Las Vegas versus the China sort of centric names, Tim? 
I like those that have a mix, and, and I like Las Vegas Sands, and they, they're, they're certainly Southeast Asia heavy, but I think they have exposure and they've divested assets, and I think they're about to be very opportunistic in online sports betting. So I've made the call on LVS. I, I think that the dynamics around the China story have always been, at least in the last 9 to 12 months, about what's happening with license renewals and the pressure on the gaming industry that we've seen from China multiple times, whether it's over to Macau and VIP and whatnot. So like LVS. LVS. Uh, I think the trends in Las Vegas right now are going to continue to be very strong. Mobility restrictions are lifted. People want to get out there. Yeah. That's where I am MGM, which is not entirely, but mostly Las Vegas and also regional. But remember, during, during the pandemic, online betting was gigantic for a lot of these. I don't know if that's going to subside. I sort of think not a lot. I think there'll be both. So I'm sticking with MGM. It's been okay. Not great. I think there's more upside, though. Yeah. Guy? Win. I mean, you look at where it's traded down to that $69 level recently was the same low we made in October of 2020. Bouncing here. I think you can wrap your head around it on valuation. And listen, we just talked about Carnival. You're going to start seeing. Look at the Las Vegas traffic numbers reported a week or so ago. Obviously, the year over year comps are a little misleading, but you get what I'm saying. People are coming back. And I think Win specifically is going to win to it. As you know, Melissa, uh, Win is the W in my what trade? Please help the audience. Don and L for Tim's live Thank trade, you. so that's why I went to you guys. Yes. That's right. All right. Nice. She's um, listening. I go. remember coming up, semis sweeping up, <laughs> analysts getting bullish on Taiwan semi, but the charts could be pointing to a ripple lower in the space. The details next. Plus, flying back into Twitter's huge day, Musk moving the social stock with a big stake. How did the options traders do playing today's news? A little OA on the Bluebird with Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the move in Taiwan Semi, jumping nearly 2% after a bullish call from Morgan Stanley. Analysts reiterating an overweight rating in the stock and say they expect the company to beat estimates when they report earnings on the 14th. All right. Um, but not everyone is sweet on semis. Your next guest is warning of a potential breakdown ahead. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus, a Baird company. Chris, what do you see? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting, given all the bullishness on the semis, I just think we need to acknowledge, even as the market has rallied here over the last number of weeks, the semis really haven't participated in that move as leaders, right? And I think our big call or our big view is the nature of leadership is changing right now. And I think you see that with the lack of any relative performance coming from the semi group. So I brought along a couple slides. I think the first one just speaks to the narrowing that we've seen in this sector. You've had a good rally off the lows, but still only about 30 or 35 percent of the semis are actually above their 200-day moving average. So there's been damaged trends. I think it takes time to repair those trends, of which we have not done enough of. And then I think, secondly, you know, when you consider the relative performance profile, our second chart here is just the SOX, the semi-index, relative uh, to the S&P. I mean, this looks to be topping, and the longer-term momentum work has also begun uh, to roll over. So if we look at three individual names that I think capture this, you mentioned Taiwan Semi. I understand the fundamental upgrade, but the chart is not justifying it. I mean, this is a stock that remains below the 200-day. The bounce has been tepid at best. There's been no momentum behind it, and the relative strength is poor. And then if we go to another name like an AMD, um, the the chart is weak. It's a relative laggard. Uh, it's bounced, but bounced into 
resistance. It's below the 200-day. And then lastly, I think the bellwether of the group that we really need to watch here is AMD. I mean, this has been a leader for a long time. It's actually starting to falter. This $100 level, $105 level is major, major support. I think that has to be a really important line in the sand for the bulls, particularly given the loss of relative performance for these stocks. So I'm more skeptical here on the charts of what the semis are telling us. So, Chris, we often say semis are cyclical and they're an indicator of of the economy. Um, They lead the stock market. And so does this have broader implications in terms of where you see the S&P going? So this morning, the title of our client note was we've lost the banks, we've lost discretionary, and we're worried we're losing semis. So, yes, I think it does. When you look at the very cyclical components of equity leadership, I mean, the banks are at 52-week relative lows. Discretionary has been weak since October, November. I don't think we want to see what happens if this market loses semis as well. There's clearly been a very defensive shift to leadership. You see it with software outperforming semis. You see it with the strength in utilities. You've seen it with what we've uh, seen with uh, the staples and the REITs. So I think at the margin, the nature of leadership here is certainly getting more defensive, and I think it stays that way. Can you give us a glimpse as to what we might see if we lose semis here? (laughs) Yeah, you know, this has been, think about it this way. We've rallied the triple Qs 17 or 18% off the lows, but we still only have 40% of stocks above the 200. I mean, that is a weak bounce uh, internally. I think we're in a big range here. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point this summer we went back to the S&P lows, but I think what you really have to focus on is what is leadership and what is not. The banks are not leadership. Discretionary is not leadership. Semis are not leadership. That is the big change. Chris, always nice to see you. Thank you. Chris Barone of Strategus. Dan Nathan, I feel like, you know, he's he's singing your song. First things first, I think we have to work with Chris uh, of renaming some of those titles for their client notes. That one seemed a bit um, long. But I'll say this about the the semis in general here. Um, The way Micron acted last week after they guided up and they put up a good quarter and the stock initially was trading up in the aftermarket and and it's traded down like 10 bucks since then. So that wasn't great. And, you know, this call by Morgan Stanley on Taiwan Semi is really a short term tactical call. If you read the note on earnings, they're basically saying the stock has acted so poorly if they're just able to come in line and guide up a little bit the stock's gonna pop that's not a rigging endorsement for this thing i would say if it's not fantastic then the stock is likely to retest those recent lows yeah chris mentioned the loss of leadership from amd interesting call given its big purchase today two billion dollar purchase of pensado guy Makes you wonder, you know, are they looking for growth now? And it's interesting. I know you were thinking this when Chris was talking. He was clearly channeling his inner Robert Duvall when he was saying if we lose the banks. The same way Robert Duvall said to Sonny, if we lose the old man, you make the deal. I know that was going through your head, Mel. It was certainly going through mine. I'll say this. If we lose AMAT, A-M-A-T, at this 125 level, which has been sideways since last spring, outside that little false breakout, that could be problematic. AMAT, surprisingly, may be the name you have to watch very carefully over the next couple of weeks. We, we, go ahead, Karen. No, no, go ahead. Okay, well, quickly, I don't think we've lost the leadership of the transports, and I think that's some part, and we've talked about rails, we've talked about uh, where you're getting some of the shippers. 
I, I rarely disagree with Chris. I actually think that the semis let us off the bottom. I thought it rallied 20 percent to the Q17 to the S&P's 12. And I've seen it outperform the, the market by 4 percent during that period. So um, I don't think it's off to the races on semis. But I think the reaction you got off an oversold market was exactly the one you wanted out of semis. All right. Speaking of semis, don't miss an exclusive interview with the CEO of Qualcomm that is at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Coming up, social shakeup. Elon Musk becoming the largest shareholder of Twitter, and that sent shares soaring. So how are options traders playing it? We've got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get one more check on Twitter, finishing out its second best day ever after Elon Musk took a 9% stake in the social media company. Twitter's options volume also exploded today. So let's bring Mike Coe in to break down the action. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah, so Twitter traded more than 20 times its average daily options volume, over 1.56 million contracts Overall, that made it the busiest single stock option over second place Tesla. So Elon Musk kind of ruling the day in the options markets. That actually represented on its own about 7% of single stock options volume, actually. And the most active contracts were the weekly 50 strike calls. Those expired at the end of this week. We saw about 190,000 of those trading for around $2. Buyers of those calls are betting that the rally that we saw today could continue through the end of the week and the stock could finish this week more than 4% higher then it closed today. I feel like he should buy a, a stake in a brokerage firm, in an online brokerage <laughs> firm now, Dan, to really capitalize on how he, he just reigns supreme in the options market. Yeah, I would just say this. When you look at all that short-dated call action, it really does, uh, you know, investors are expecting it to continue to see that momentum until maybe we get to some point when we get some fundamental data about those earnings. But that's not, you know, you're not seeing any really large commitment to a much higher share price, much longer data in the future. Yeah. What, what do you make of the action, Karen? Uh, I, the whole thing I find is just amusing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a real stake for sure. I don't know what's going to happen in the short term. We talk about him being a passive investor. Right. I'd be surprised if in the very short term, <laughs> like the next week or two. But who knows? He's Elon. Anything can happen. Right. Yeah, that, that is very true. Mike, thank you. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Nike, uh, finishing the day up by six-tenths of a percent. Uh, Nike causing some concern because uh, Tiger Woods apparently showed up to master's practice not wearing Nike shoes. He was wearing FootJoy shoes, and of course, Nike has been a longtime sponsor of Tiger Woods for uh, about two decades or so. Uh, And so this uh, caused quite a stir in terms of perhaps... Tiger not being affiliated with Nike anymore. Nike did release a statement later on, making it seem like the two were working together. They incur- they are excited about Tiger's return uh, to competitive golf. Dan, what do, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, this is this is what Twitter's for, Mel, for people to find it out <laughs> about this sort of stuff here. We're all going to speculate until we see what he's wearing on Friday afternoon. I, I mean, listen, it would be a, a bad thing for Nike. They have obviously have a lot of their golf aspirations tied to Tiger. Yeah, um, he's going to make a game time decision as to whether or not to compete in the Masters guy. And I would think that would be good or maybe bad for for some of the online betting companies, too. Listen, Tiger knows exactly what he's doing. I absolutely believe he's playing. If he's wearing foot joy, there's clearly there where there's smoke, Melissa. 
There's fire. You know I love a good conspiracy theory. I know you so do. So this is only going to get better over the next couple of days. All right. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Guy, kick us off. Well, love Kansas tonight. I'm sorry, you UNC fans out there. Don't at me. Look at Oracle since earnings melt. Very strong. Dan? Yeah, by the way, Karen looking very pro today and Walmart breaking out. Karen? Yeah, I like EWW, EWW Mexico ETF. Tim? Chili, ECH. Very international tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.